Welcome to the Impact Show. Beyond training, beyond practice, this is the podcast for strength and conditioning coaches, sport coaches, personal trainers, and sports fitness entrepreneurs who want to increase the impact they have on the people around them. And now, here's your host, coach, author, and entrepreneur, Jim Kilbasso. Welcome to the Impact Show, my friends. This is Jim Kilbasso, and today is episode number three. It's an interview segment, and I've got an awesome guest and an awesome interview for you. Before we get into that, I want to thank the IYCA for sponsoring this podcast and offering you, uh, all, all of our listeners out there, some great free information that you can grab on my website, jimkilbasso.com. So I encourage you to click on those banners Get that free information, learn a little bit more about how the IYCA is helping one, uh, helping make an impact on 1 million athletes through coaching education. So today's guest is a guy that has made a huge impact on the entire profession. He is the owner of bodybyboil.com. Uh, you're probably starting to figure out who it's going to be. He also owns strengthcoach.com. He and Anthony Renna do the Strength Coach podcast, and this guy is a great example of blending great coaching with an entrepreneurial spirit to make a huge impact on the industry. Not many people can be as outspoken and opinionated as this guy and still have everyone who meets him talk about what a genuine and down-to-earth guy he is. It's a real, real unique uh, mix of of those two things, and today on the show, he breaks it all down for you um, as far as being an authentic person and and how to carry yourself. And we get into being an early adapter and early adopter, which is something that he's talked about with me before. So let's jump into this great conversation with Coach Mike Boyle. Mike Boyle, great to have you on the show today. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. It's great to be on, Jim. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, it, we, we briefly talked about the purpose of the show being um, really exploring the impact that coaches and trainers make on people and how to separate yourself. And uh, that's kind of what I want to just dig right into with you. Um, you know, we know that you're very smart, and I know that you've worked really, really hard. You've worked your butt off to get to where you're at today, but a lot of people are smart, and a lot of people have worked their butts off, and they have not been able to achieve the same level of success that you've had. So, you know, let's just start right off with what makes you different, and what have you done differently, do you think? Well, it's interesting. I think you and I had a little uh, sort of uh, pre-recording conversation here, and I said one of the things that I think makes a difference is that I don't think that people who know me look at me and think that what I'm doing is trying to make money. I don't think people view me as a businessman or as somebody who's trying to sell them something. And I think that's, um, I was on a podcast the other day with these guys. And one of the things that I said is I was probably about a 20 year overnight success in terms of, <laughs> you know, from 21 to 40. I don't know if there were, 
you know, 10 people in the strength and conditioning world who could have told you who Mike Boyle was if they didn't live within a, you know, five minute drive of the city of Boston. Yeah. And, and then I wrote a book. And yeah. I really think that that probably more than anything really started changing things. I started speaking for Perform Better. I started getting opportunities in. And I just think that I think I've been, um, relatively authentic. I don't think I've come across salesy to people. I think I've come across as someone who genuinely, whether it's trying to help a coach get better or a personal trainer get better or an athlete get better, I think I've been able to come across sort of in all of those venues as someone who's pretty sincere about, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. This isn't, you know, there's no profit motive, even though in a lot of these things they have become, for me now, businesses. We are in for-profit strength and conditioning. We were selling DVDs. I've sold, you know, I've written books. We've done... I mean, really, if you look at it, the fitness industry in one way or the strength and conditioning industry, I've probably done everything that you can do yeah, to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have. But I don't think I've given people the impression that that was my primary motivation. I do think that's what's kind of helped to, to separate us out a little bit or separate me out a little bit. You know, I, I agree with that. And your authenticity has absolutely been there. You know, some people could say it's integrity also. Um and you've had that and you've maintained that throughout your career. Was that a conscious decision that you made at some point? Or, you know, do you do things to make sure people know that you're authentic? Or is that just kind of who you are? I think that's who I am. I think that's, I, we were talking, I have a couple of people in this week for a mentorship. And one of the things that I talked about is I really look for upbringing in the mm. people that work for me. And I think my father was... It's very interesting. My father was a high school principal. Mark Verstegen is one of my really good friends. Father mm-hmm. was a high school principal. And I think we came out of what I would call relatively authentic environments where we were really influenced by teacher coaches, by people. They were people that had a really major impact on our life growing up. And I think that was probably, in, in my mind, that was all I ever really wanted to be. So I mm-hmm. think that is authentic. And I think people do kind of look at that and see that. I think if you kind of if you talk to to my friends or you talk to people that I see socially you'd probably see the same person that you see in the strength and conditioning field and probably even maybe a, a less of you know a more understated version of that in terms of there's a lot of people that we kind of deal with day to day in our community with our kids stuff like that who have no idea what I even do yeah and no I'm I'm the same way. I get it. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And and I think, and again, that's, I think it's all, yeah, I'd say it's all intentional, but, um, but I would say, I think, you know, I guess authentic is the word that kind of comes through in terms of, I, I'm not trying to pretend to be something that I'm not probably, I probably do that more now when I speak, I've realized that, that gee, I can be funny and, and that I can entertain people. I think initially I didn't have that ability or I didn't try to have that ability and now I've realized hey why not get up there and and have some fun while I do it why not get up there and make people laugh while I do it and but even with that I think over time you know people always say are you so good at speaking like I've been speaking for a really long time I started out talking to kids at camps I I tell people I sort of honed my skills still remember the International Hockey Academy one of my friends used to pay me like a hundred dollars on Sunday to talk to groups of 12-year-old kids, one group after another. I'd probably spend the half of my Sunday where these kids you know, would go on the ice and they'd come to the weight room and I'd talk to them for 20 minutes about whatever, training, nutrition. We might, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it was much more talking than it was working out stuff, but 
I got comfortable talking in front of groups. I got comfortable sort of looking at faces and realizing, ah, this isn't, this isn't going as well and this is going <laughs> better and yeah. kind of realizing what was, what would, would keep kids engaged. And then, so the, I think it's the classic when, you know, one thing led to another. Well, that's the way it's been with me. One thing led to another. I don't think there was ever, I never probably had any intention to be where I am. That's, you know, that's super interesting because, you know, you hear everything out there on, uh, like, personal development says you have to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But a lot of people that I've talked to, it's kind of like what you're saying. You know, I started out doing what I thought was the right thing and then just kind of figured it out from there. When you were, you know, early on, you weren't making a lot of money. I remember you told me that you were working multiple jobs. Like, you were probably stressed about it, but, you know, did did things just kind of happen for you and you let them happen? Yes, that's exactly what happened. I think I started, um, yeah, when I was first at Boston University, when I was a, just a college strength conditioning coach, I was a bartender until I was 30. I was yeah. part-time. That's why I, I kind of laugh at people now when I have these younger people who are in their 20s who are really concerned about, I don't know where my career is going. Yeah, I don't, yeah. You don't know where your career is going. You got to be kidding me. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because I kind of knew where my where I wanted. I mean, when I started out, and I think I'm a little bit older than you. Um, there really wasn't a field. Yes. There weren't people getting paid. This was a, you know, you're you're in kind of uncharted waters. Hey, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, but there's no, I you know, I only knew a couple of people who were actually doing it for money. Yeah that you would look and say, oh, they, they live off the money that they make as strength and conditioning coaches. Again, same thing. If you, you know, I mean, anyone who tells you that, that when they started doing this, they thought that strength and conditioning coaches would make six figures is a liar. Anyone who would tell you that they thought there'd be strength and conditioning coaches making a half a million dollars, which there are now, would be a liar. I don't think even five years ago we could have envisioned where this has gone. No, absolutely not. And, I know. I And where it's going to go. Yeah. You know, so it sounds like it, it sounds like maybe something that you have been able to do better or maybe different than other people is you, you just kind of recognize when there's an opportunity and you're able to take action. Would you, you know, comment on that? I, I would say yes. If you look uh, in, if you look in the literature, they will call people either early adapters or early adopters, depending on whose mm-hmm. stuff you read. I was clearly both an early adapter and an early adopter. As I said, I had these mentorship guys in today, and I was talking about social media. And I quickly, I mean, not quickly, but once I realized, okay, email, you know, the internet, this thing's here to stay, all right, I better figure this out. When I started looking at social media and realizing, okay, social media, and some of it was just listening to people and talking and having conversations and thinking. I can still remember uh, one of my best... um communication channels right now is my Twitter feed mm-hmm. and I have 32,000 plus followers on Twitter mm-hmm. but I got on Twitter I was at a seminar and the, there was a woman speaking and it was more of like an entrepreneurship kind of seminar and um, she said Twitter's going to be big it's the next big thing you got to get on Twitter mm-hmm. and so I just signed up sitting there that morning I kind of went on you know as she's talking she's doing her talk and I had my laptop and I signed up on Twitter. This was probably six, seven, eight years ago, but mm-hmm. I can remember every time I saw somebody doing something that I thought was good, I thought, oh, I got to do that. I can remember, I've told this story a bunch of times, but I can remember now, it wasn't that long ago that we were bringing 
slides, literal slides, and a slide projector <laughs> to presentations. Yeah, you're right. And people would laugh about that now, but I mean, I'm thinking that might only have been in the last 15 years that yeah. uh, I saw Boyd Epley at the NSCA, I still remember, and I'm sitting next to a guy and we're watching him, and he's talking and his stuff's up on the screen and we can't see his slides. And this guy next to me elbows me and he's like, it's in his computer. And I'm like, what's in his computer? <laughs> the whole presentation, it's in his computer. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he literally said, it's called PowerPoint. His whole presentation, all his slides are coming from his computer. And all I could think about was, you know, you talk about like the cavemen, you know, when somebody rubbed two sticks together and saw fire. That's how yeah. I felt. Like, oh my God, you know, I saw a fire for the first time. Like, you know. <laughs> mind was blown. Yeah, absolutely. And then, not shortly after that, we did a perform better thing. Now, Mike Clark shows up, who was a smart guy. Not Mike Clark, the strength coach, but Mike Clark, the physical therapist, because there are two okay. Mike Clarks. But Mike Clark, yep. the physical therapist, shows up. And not only does he have PowerPoint, he has PowerPoint and he has video in his PowerPoint. Because I think by that time, I had PowerPoint, so I had slides. And all yeah. of a sudden, Mike Clark's one up in me, and he's got his videos. you know. And we would, same thing, Chris Poirier was transporting around a VCR. And we had VHS tapes that when it came time, hey, let's go to the video. And it was like, okay, stop, plug in, yep. plug in the VCR to the projector or the TV or whatever we were using, slap yep. the videotape in, and then talk, talk over this videotape that we had video. And again, this was not, this was probably early 2000s. That we yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, just making this transition, but it was that ability to, to look at this and think, hey, I got to go out, I got to get a digital camera, I got to start figuring out how to shoot these digital videos, I got to figure out how to download all this technological stuff that, I mean, I, I still remember saying to Mike Clark, Mike, how to do that? He goes, oh, it's really easy, you just got to download the MPEGs and insert them. <laughs> you were like, I have no idea what you're Yeah, he's like, I don't know what any of that meant. <laughs> and then I went <laughs> to somebody in PowerPoint, I said, how do you put a video in PowerPoint? The guy was like, click insert and then movie. And I was like, okay, insert movie. Mm -hmm. I think I can do that. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, it's like, but I don't have any movies. <laughs> now you got to shoot the movies. Well, you know what I did? I actually had a kid that worked for me who, again, was uh, training at the facility and was really smart, technologically intelligent. And I, uh, he um, digitized all our stuff that we had on VHS tape. So mm. all the old video that we had shot with a camcorder, he then took it and cut it all up and made it into individual MPEG clips. So then nice. all of a sudden we had this big MPEG library, and now my my video library in my computer is thousands and thousands of clips. And it seems like you kind of will pop them up uh, either on social media or for your presentations. It seems like you use those pretty well. Oh, yeah, also. all the time. And it's so cool now because now I have old, you know, I have some that are 15, 16 years old of athletes, which is pretty funny to see some of the the grainy stuff that was converted initially from VHS. Yeah. So, yeah, and I use them, I mean, I use them all the time because, again, one of the things you realize as you start to study social media is that pictures and video, there's a reason that Instagram is really popular. There's a reason that people are trying to insert videos into Twitter. I'm just figuring out Instagram right now because I'm mm -hmm. with my kids. Instagram is big. And so... That's, that's how I try to keep up with my kids. Yeah, exactly. Got to check their feed. Yeah. What, what kind of, so you know you talk you've talked to me about being an early adapter and an early adopter in the past too. Is there anything you know in the last year that you've started to adapt to that you feel like might be the next 
big thing? Yeah, I do. I, I, that would probably be Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Instagram, you know, for us as coaches, as a communication tool for us with our athletes, particularly with the high school athlete. Because mm-hmm. um, a couple of the guys that work with me, Marco Sanchez and Kevin Carr, great great kids. I mean, they're, they're late 20s now. But yeah. they're up to 15,000 followers on their Instagram account because they've really been working their Instagram thing hard yeah. in terms of filming. They're keeping their video clips under 15 seconds, which is the limit for Instagram. Mm-hmm. And getting all kinds of stuff up with little tutorials. Just they're they're very active in that particular form of media. And then you think, okay, now if I can get my if I can get to be better with Instagram, and then I can get Instagram linked into Twitter, then hopefully I can continue to to build my following that way. Because again, from a business standpoint, this is now our advertising and our marketing. Absolutely. There's no yeah. there's no more. I don't, I don't even know how you would market without social media right now when you look at it for anything, whether you're trying to sell a, a physical product, whether you're trying to market your facility, no matter what you're trying to do, that all that reach is going to be based on social media. And that's changed things in terms of suddenly we have way more international capability. I used to like with DVDs, I always liked to get the DVDs. Now, no one wants physical product anymore. No. I used to get offended when people would sell a DVD package and there wasn't a physical product. I used to think that is absolute bull. <laughs> I'm paying for them to let me download videos onto my own computer. Yeah. My computer, I don't have a disk drive anymore. I have a Mac, you know, MacBook Air. So if yeah. I want video, I have to download it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like what everything is now. Yeah. Um, and that's like, you look at like the kids, Netflix. My daughter sits up in her bed. She doesn't watch TV. <laughs> he watches her computer. My kids are the same way. They look, they're constantly on their phones and on the computer watching whatever. Yeah. You know, it's all streaming. I keep talking to my wife about the fact that we we really need to figure out our, the cable thing because we spend so much money on cable, but we really don't use it. Yeah. And, you know, it, but we actually went, I did a lot of, typical of me, I did a lot of research on trying to figure out how to cut the bill down. But the cable companies mm-hmm. have it figured out in terms of they won't let you have a wire that just brings you internet for 29 bucks a month. I've noticed that. Yeah. So they, they, you still have to buy the whole package. And there are a few, like in bigger cities, I forget what they call them right now, but there are some of these kind of internet-only services where you can just get internet, but they're basically in, say, New York and Philadelphia and maybe downtown Boston. Mm-hmm. But because we would look and we said, if we just get internet, then we can use our Amazon account, or our Amazon Prime, or whatever it is, watch what we want, buy what we want when we want it. But the cable yeah, they company don't want, is staying a step ahead of you, and they won't let you do it. They don't want to let that happen. It's also always been interesting to me that uh, your cell phone bill, you could get like a couple gigs of data costs you quite a bit, but you get like three or 400 gigs of data for your home internet and it costs you 30 bucks a month and i you know what's the difference in the data there i don't really know right no it's the same thing i just looked at my phone bill the same way in terms of i said if i can get my if i can get unlimited data then we can just stream off our hotspots yeah suddenly they stop you at 300 um (laughs) and that's it like you can't get like i have i don't have an unlimited data plan and we actually end up paying for the overages now with the kids because oh yeah all the time yeah and but no one has. There's a few, but we'd have to change phone providers to get to unlimited data. 
this is a business idea for anyone who knows how to do this and fix it. Like, I think, you know, you've got two customers right here that would do it. So I'm pretty sure that once somebody figured it, figures this out, they'll be rich. Yeah, no, I, I think there's no question about it. And, uh, so, you know, going kind of back to what we we're talking about with Instagram and all that, um, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, there's been some posts around saying, you know, any coach that posts on Instagram or their social media, um, you know, multiple times a day, obviously isn't coaching very much. And kind of like what you said about the authenticity, you've been able to, to strike a good balance with it between, you know, you, you post frequently, but it's not, it's not cheesy. It's not, you know, like too much. Um, do you, is that how you do it? Do you link up all your social media accounts so that it doesn't take up a lot of time right. or how, how do you manage yeah. all that? I try to have as much stuff linked up as I can. And I try to be efficient in the morning in terms of thinking, all right, I've got to bang out something and I've got to make sure I get it every place that I need it to go quickly so that I can do it mm-hmm. in five minutes. Cause basically if, if I put something on my blog, then that goes automatically, that goes to Twitter and it goes to Facebook. So I get those three covered right away. I haven't figured out mm. how to get Instagram into that mix yet. But that was a Gary Vaynerchuk thing. I remember when I first read Crush It, mm-hmm. and that was what he was talking about, was linking all this stuff up. I was like, now that's the way to do it, because now you're not bouncing around yeah. and thinking, okay, i got to get a blog post up, and then i got to take that blog post, and i got to tweet it, and then i got to take it, and i got to copy it to Facebook, and they allow you to link all these things. So if you just get something and what's become the least, it's like my blog now has just become like a dump. So I just put (laughs) stuff on there because I think blog reading is way down. I agree. And people are much more reading Twitter feeds. But for me, it's just a sort of a place to, to start something moving. Yeah. And, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if a year or two from now, the blog is gone. And it's because people, again, it's, yeah. it's becoming more and more compressed into smaller and smaller bites and not, not bites in the, uh, computer world bites, but just, I think yeah. people, the people that are out there are looking for just the quick hits. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you said, uh, that you, you know, knock something out in the morning. What, what's kind of a, do you have a typical daily routine or, um, you know, or, or does it really vary? No, I have a pretty typical daily routine. I have early clients on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Tuesdays, Thursdays, I'm up at 4.40 and I'm in the gym by 5.15 actually mm-hmm. training clients. Because I have one really group of guys that are really, at this point, they're my friends that bring mm-hmm. them away. And so I knock that out Tuesday, Thursday morning, and then I usually come home and I'm involved with trying to get my kids up and fed and off to school and trying to do kind of the dad stuff that I need to do. And then mm-hmm. the rest of the days, I try to be up somewhere between five and six. And I actually like to get up. I will get up. I'll read the paper. I'll have a cup of coffee. I'll check my mm-hmm. email. I'll do all the stuff that people say you shouldn't do in the morning. And, um, <laughs> Me too. and I'll do all that. And then I'll figure out, okay, what do I need to get done? And usually that for me will be something social media related. Whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of with my strengthcoach.com site, which is a big kind of where I've been focusing a lot of energy lately. One of the things we've realized there is we've got two channels. We have, we have one acquisition channel and the acquisition channel is getting stuff from strength coach out onto Facebook or Twitter so that people will maybe come back and look at the site and think, Oh, I should join. And then the other side of that is servicing the people that are members of the site. So I probably will alternate a little bit between 
being on the forum and answering questions on strengthcoach.com and then doing something that might entice people to come and take a look at strengthcoach.com. So. And, you know, while you're talking about that, I, I'm not getting paid to say this, but strengthcoach.com is absolutely addictive. Um, you know, for anyone who hasn't gotten on there, they definitely should. You know, Mike, you are on there all the time, and there's a lot of people that are very active, and, and you know, a question will come up, and you'll start thinking about it throughout the day, and you want to then go back and post and see what other people have. So it's a really, really cool site if, if people haven't checked that out. Well, good. I appreciate um, it. And in all honesty, I agree with you. It's, I think it's amazing. I always say to people, it's amazing the community that we developed in a very, because again, this is part of sort of the accidental part of the internet. In mm-hmm. that, I had um, MichaelBoyle.biz because it was the same thing. I remember being, I think it was a Ryan Lee seminar where he said, you have to have a website. And it's, mm-hmm. say, whenever anybody, like, I, one of the things I've been good at when you talk about, you know, early adapting, early adopting, is listening to people, figuring out who's smarter than I am or who's yeah. having more success than I am, and then figuring out what I need to do to be like them. And mm-hmm. with Ryan, there were a lot of people who knocked Ryan for whatever, for being too salesy or trying to make money or whatever it was. But I, I always had a lot of respect for Ryan. And I thought, this is a guy who's figuring out how to help people in the fitness business make money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So yeah, I would right. go and when he said, you got to have a website, I went, you know, same thing. He started figuring out, how do I get a domain name? You know, go into, you know, I think, I don't know, GoDaddy or Domains.com or whatever I was doing and trying to figure out who owned Michael Boyle and <laughs> and we had that I don't know if you remember I don't know if you go back to the michaelboyle.biz site but we had michaelboyle.biz mm-hmm. and then the same way Aaron Hardesty the guy who helped me with the videos was helping me with the website and said you really need a forum forums are big now if you look at like T Nation yeah. and a lot of these places where they're getting a lot of activity they have a forum it's like so let's start a forum so we started a forum and that forum got big and people started coming to the forum people like uh probably like you and people like Patrick Ward and Bob Alejo. And there were just a bunch of guys who kind of got drawn into this thing. And that was when yeah. I partnered up with Ryan Lee because I realized, yeah, I need to make this into a business. I can't keep spending all this time on the forum because you said it is addictive and you find yourself, you're on there and you're answering questions and you're posting links and you're linking videos and it takes time. That's and I started true. thinking, okay, I need to monetize this. And that was where strengthcoach.com was born out of the old sportspecific.com which again this is like a history class for some people but it's uh well and a guy a guy from uh, some I think it was Mount St. Mary or somewhere in California I I can't remember had strengthcoach.com the domain name before you guys grabbed it too he did and Brian bought it off somebody that was somebody you know put it up either they put it up for auction or they did something or they had the site and they, because again one thing you realize is the other thing is the staying power and the ability to kind of hang in with some of this stuff there are a lot of people who stick their foot in the water and then after four or five six months walk away and think yeah that didn't work yeah and even now like with strengthcoach.com it's much more of a struggle than it was two or three years ago because you're competing with a lot of free facebook traffic that people are oh, now yeah. getting through different Facebook groups and through a lot of that stuff. So it's it's not as easy a business as it was three years ago or four years ago. And I sure. I always talk, you know, because Anthony Ren is involved in it with me too, and I always say we've got to kind of weather the storm a little bit because eventually the people who are giving away information on Facebook will get tired of it because Absolutely. they realize that, gee, this is time-consuming and I'm not making any money. 
and then some of that stuff will dry up and hopefully we're still there, which is, I think, another thing we've been able to be fairly good at is surviving <laughs> mm-hmm. and you not know, giving up. As you talk you know, through all these things, another thing that I think you're probably brilliant at, and maybe you don't even recognize it, is finding people to help you with things so that you're not trying to do it all yourself. Yep, I've been, and I've been good at that, and I've been better, smarter as time has gone on in terms of trying to create good partnerships. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, did I lose you? No, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I had my volume. I was playing with the volume. I didn't realize it, and I turned it down. But um, you know, I said I've been really good at trying to create good partnerships. Yeah. And And I think... Partnerships can be good or bad, but I think having other people that are involved with you, again, Anthony Rana is a really smart guy who has a different set of skills than I do. So he was a guy that I said, okay, as I'm moving more in this internet direction, I need to get Anthony involved in the things that I'm doing. He was already doing the podcast, and I I basically cut a really good deal to get him involved in strengthcoach.com with me. And in a lot of the stuff that we've done in our our certifications – you know, Kevin Carr and Brendan Rarick and Kevin Larrabee, they are all partners in the certification oh, and as cool. well as working and doing a lot of that. So, yeah, I've been trying as we've gotten involved in more and more things to not spread myself too thin to make sure, okay, somebody else is going to have a financial stake in this because if yeah. you do, they're going to be in it for the long haul. If they're just working. If you've just got employees, employees are always going to struggle to be in something for the long haul like Whereas somebody who's got a financial interest is probably going to be much more motivated to do that. Absolutely. That's cool that you're, that you've thought that way. It's, it's almost a generous way of thinking too, I think. Yeah. And I, and I, you're right. And I think, because, and I think that's part of a lot of, as you read, as you do more self-help, personal development stuff, as you go along, you start to realize that this kind of, you know, what people would call an abundance mentality really makes sense. Yeah. People who approach things with a scarcity mentality of, I don't want to share anything. I want everything for me. I want to make all the money. Some of them do make money, but a lot of them don't. The people that I've seen with a real abundance mentality who are constantly kind of partnering with people and creating really good win-win sort of scenarios mm-hmm. tend to do really well. And I think I've, I, years ago, I actually spoke at a fitness business thing for, I think it was for Pat Rigsby and, uh, and Nick called, I think it was called Fitness Millions. And that was one of the things that I talked about, which is the whole idea. I've really become a karma believer. My wife is one of these people who's very much that way and always says, you know, what goes around comes around and everything yeah. will work itself out. And if it's supposed to happen, it's going to happen. All these things that I didn't like initially because I would much <laughs> want to believe that everything was completely in my control. I was more the, you know, the type, you know, if it is going to be, it's up to me. That was more the way that I would approach things. Yeah, me too. And, but over time, I've come to probably see things from her slant a little bit more and realize that if I, I really do believe if you have a, an abundance mentality and you continue to do the right thing over and over again, that stuff comes back to you. Yeah. And even, like I said, from a personal development standpoint, they always talk about the idea of giving money to charity, giving money away. And I've I've legitimately found that as the amount of money I've given away has increased, the amount of money that I've made has increased. You know, that's crazy. I was just listening to someone else talk about that, and you listen to it and you think, yeah, sure. But, I mean, how many how many times do people have to tell 
you that that that's the case before you just buy into it, you know? Well, and I think it's hard because I think when you have a little less money, it's hard to look at something and think that, you know, I'm going to let 10% of my money go yeah. or I'm going to, I'm going to donate to every cause. One of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to keep my money very local. So if mm-hmm. I'm going to help people, I'd like to help people in my sort of immediate community. And it's just stuff as simple as sponsoring my kids' little league team. You know, they're looking for sponsors. Okay. So I yeah. stick, you know, our website name on the back of the little league baseball shirts. Cost me $400. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is I, it's probably going to be very difficult for me to monetize that $400 off of 11-year-old baseball players. Right. But I still believe that by putting yourself out there in the community that people will see that and that eventually you'll get more than that $400 back in business. Yeah. It's not, you're not just looking at an immediate return. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing. So for us, you know, whether it's, you know, sponsoring a hole at a golf tournament or even with, you know, us trying to teach our kids, you know, adopt a family at Thanksgiving or at Christmas or whatever it is, I think you, we just have to keep looking at the, at the giving side of it and realize that, um, that a lot of these, because think about it, I mean, as you said, people have been saying this for thousands of years. This isn't like yeah. someone said this last year. Right. I mean, this has been, you can find these references in, in the Bible. You can find these references in books that are thousands yeah. of years old. And as you said, it's still difficult when you're in a profession initially where you don't make a lot of money to think, I'm going to give money away. Like, I'm not giving money away. I don't have money to give away. Right. But in the same way, I've talked to people who said they didn't, I can remember 25 years ago when I was working at Boston University trying to explain to one of the guys that coached with me that he needed to put money in his retirement account because the school matched 6% mm-hmm. of your salary. Yeah. And I was trying to show him the math of basically like if you put a 1000 in, they give you a 1000 It's a 100% return on investment every year you do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can borrow $1,000 on your credit card and keep doing that every year. And at the end of the time, you'll have more money in your investment account than you'll owe on your credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool way of looking yeah, at it. You know what I mean? But, it, cause he, but he's like, I don't have the money. I don't have the, you know, it's 100 bucks a month. I don't have 100 bucks a month. You're like, you don't have... You don't have another option. Right. I was like, but I said, yeah. this is the, you don't, you're not getting it. Like they're, you know, they're going to match you dollar for dollar. Like you've got to find, you know, I said, you could borrow, like so you could literally go and say, okay, I'm going to put a hundred dollars a month on my credit card and they're going to charge you 20% interest. You know, I said, but at the end of the year, you know, that you'll have borrowed a thousand and you'll owe 1200, but you'll have 2000, 2000. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but he didn't do it. Yeah, you, that was amazing uh, is that he's like, no, I can't afford it. I've had I've had employees like that too. Uh, it, it just doesn't make much sense. But you know, it, it, I, I like hearing you talk about you know different different uh, lessons you've taught people, and you know you've taught you've had these conversations. When when did you realize you know consciously that you were really making an impact on a lot of people's lives, whether it was people that worked for you or uh, you probably recognized it with kids that you were working with, but with people in the industry that you were making an impact beyond just talking about sets and reps? I think probably after the first maybe six or seven years of the Perform Better thing you started because people would come back and say, 
you know, talk about how much this had changed their business mm. or changed cool. their life or changed their team or any, because I think initially you realize it, as you said, you realize it with the athletes, started to realize it with the athletes because you start getting invited. As you know, you're at that, you know, you probably went through a long period of time where you got invited to a lot of weddings. Yes. Kids, athletes that you trained got married and you were such a significant part of their life at that time that you were invited to be part of that mm-hmm. celebration with them. And that was for me, that was a big point in time when I realized, wow, I really am having an impact on these people because I've suddenly become part of their inner circle, somebody that they really value in terms of someone that they would want to have around them on this day. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, professionally, as far as in the fitness industry, it was probably, probably took six or seven years of the perform better thing to think. Because I can remember, and although I've become less and less of a Vern Gambetta fan probably every year, uh, mm-hmm. I can remember watching Vern Gambetta and Don Chu in the 80s at the NSCA conventions and just thinking, wow, mm-hmm. what I give to be like that. Yeah. To be able to get up on stage and have all of these people hanging on my every word and wanting to ask me questions afterwards and wanting to talk to me. And then suddenly there I was, whatever, you know, five, six, seven years later, 46, 47 years old in a very similar situation where suddenly we were peers. I used to tease Don Chu all the time and say, you know, Don, when I was growing up, you were my idol. (laughs) Yeah. And that's tough hearing somebody who's in their 50s tell you that. Because <laughs> I think Don's probably in his early 70s now, if I'm guessing. And uh, But it was true. You know, yeah, you know, I, I totally see where you're coming from, especially with that example. I remember I, I was probably fresh out of grad school and got to do some stuff. Um, it was a very small conference, and Don sat down at a bar with me and a couple other guys for hours talking to me. And at the time I thought, this is like, this is the guy, like how, how lucky am I? And I get to ask him questions. And, um, it is cool as you get older that you sit down and somebody else is buying you a beer and you're sharing your experiences with them. Yeah. And exactly. Suddenly you become that guy. I almost laugh. Like I do. I I think it's almost comical in terms of, wow, it's amazing. I, I still say it's amazing that anybody cares, but, but people really do care and it's a really big deal. And we try now because of that at a lot of these things that we do, we try to schedule some kind of social time where we can do that, sit down and have a beer and try to make a point of getting around to the people that are taking the course or in the seminar or whatever and, and hanging around with them. I think at the yeah. better thing, that's one of the things Chris Poirier has done is he's had that, he's created that Friday night social and he has all the speakers there and and the speakers know it's almost like, okay, part of the deal is you got to be here on Friday night and you got to hang out and talk to these people because there's six or seven or 800 people that came out here to hear you speak. And it's a big deal to, For sure. to hang around with you and have a beer with you and to take a picture like it. Some of it is almost, um, it borders on embarrassing in a way that while <laughs> like someone actually cares, you know, can I take a picture with you? One, the fact that they ask yeah, is almost, I'm like, yeah, of course you could. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, I don't know why you'd want one, but yes, uh, it's flattering that you would even consider that. And but now I have people want you know bring their books. We sign my book. Uh-huh. And these are all, as I said, these are things that I never, at no point in my life did I envision that any of those things would ever come to be. You know, if someone had said to me, "Oh yeah, at some point when you're in your fifties, people will want to take pictures with you and they'll ask you to sign their book," and 
be like, yeah, right, that, that'd be cool, but uh, <laughs> doubt it. Well, so, so that, you know, you brought up caring. The, the whole saying, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Obviously, you've been able to show people that you care in lots of different ways. Do you have specific ways that you make sure that you, um, tactics, if you will, that you utilize to make sure that people know you care? And that could be with athletes or that could be with, with coaches. You know, it's, it's amazing because I had, I literally had this whole conversation with these mentorship guys this morning and, uh, you, there's a book and it's not a kid's book, but it's a book for parents about kids called, um, to a child love is spelled time. And I think that's probably the biggest strategy is trying to just that time spent hanging around or even just if you can't hang around the apology, the, the heartfelt apology, hey, I can't stay after this is over, but I really appreciate you guys being here. And I think, again, it goes back to the same concept of being being genuine and being authentic and never feeling entitled. I can remember, and I won't, I won't badmouth these guys by name because it's probably not productive to do, but there were some guys that were big in our industry in the 90s who had the total opposite reputation of that in terms of they were rude to people at seminars and they didn't have a minute to answer a question to anybody and it was all about the money and and it was obvious. Mm. And I think as a result, those people probably drastically shortened their careers because they just, their they had no concept of customer service. I try to look at this and think, this is customer service. These are people who are paying to be at the seminar. These are the people that I'm hoping will buy a book, will subscribe to a website, will purchase a DVD, whatever it is. And for me to not be willing to take the time to to sign a book, take a picture, answer a question. That's why I always I talk. I always uh. I always flatter Martin Rooney because I think Martin Rooney is one of the best guys at it in our industry in terms of he will literally stay until somebody stops talking to him. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's unbelievable to watch him do it because, you know, sometimes I'll be like, damn, he's been there for like an hour after his talk. And <laughs> this one guy left, but he's not going to disappoint that one guy. That guy's still got questions. Martin's still answering them. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably not that patient anymore. I'll look at people and think, hey, my wife's here, my kids are here, I need to get going. I'll make a, a real, an honest excuse, but an excuse nonetheless for why I'm not going to stay indefinitely. Mm-hmm. But as I said, there are others in the field who've gotten very, just like I said, they've gotten rude and dismissive with people and forgetting that effectively, these are the people, that these are the paying customers. You know, it's no different than if you were a, a musician or anything else who's going to have an audience. These are the customers. These are the people that make it possible for you to be this guy, to be this expert, to have this opportunity to stand in front of people. And I think when you start to forget that you're, you're on your way out. And I've watched people do it. I as I said, I, I could sit here and give you at least five names of five really big time guys of say the nineties, two thousands who aren't big time guys anymore. And the reason they aren't is because they got too big for their britches. They go, they were guys who started to think that the customer isn't always right and the customer doesn't count. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a rock star here and, and they're coming to see me. And the reality yeah, that's, is that that's, may be true, but not forever. not forever. Yeah. So who, who taught you this or who had an impact on you? You know, the biggest impact on me, I'll tell you right now, um, 
and this I always talk to everybody, you have your outliers moments. You have these moments you talk about being, uh, you know, that, you know, having a beer with Don Chu or whatever it was. I was yeah. at an NSCA convention with, uh, I went to college with Rusty Jones. Rusty was a graduate uh, student when I was an undergraduate student. And for people who don't know, Rusty was the second longest tenured guy in the NFL behind Mike Wojcik, who I also went to Springfield College with. Mike was my dorm director. So these were guys that I was friendly with through college. And not even, I mean, I was younger. I followed them around. I was more of probably, I don't know, a fan, a, a follower with those guys because they were two or three years older than I was. But NSCA in Pittsburgh, probably 1984. And I bet that I have $20 with me, if I'm guessing. I don't think I had a credit card, and I probably had $20 to spend. And I can remember Rusty Jones and Keith Irwin and Jerry Simmons, who ended up being a strength coach in the NFL for a lot of years, too, were going out to this bar, to an oyster bar. And Rusty was like, oh, come with us. And I kind of like, ah, I don't know, I can't really afford it, I, you know, I'm kind of on a budget. And he's like, no, no, no you got to come, you got to come. And they took me, you know, a 20-year-old kid who, you know, strength coach at Boston University making zero dollars, mm-hmm. who literally, like I said, I didn't have an ATM card, I don't think I had a credit card. And, you know, I went to this bar and, you know, we ate oysters and we drank beer, we had the best time and they paid for everything. That's awesome. And I swore from that day forward, you can ask anybody, if you go out to eat with me, if you're a young strength coach, you don't pay. Yep. You know, the people on staff, no matter where it is, I try to pick up the tab everywhere that I go, when I'm, particularly when I'm with these younger people who I know don't have the resources that I have right now. Yeah. And, and because, I, and I tell people all the time, they, well, you know, you know I, I want to pay it back. I'm like, no, I always tell people all the time, don't pay it back, pay it forward. Yeah, do it for somebody right. else. There'll come a time when you'll be the one with money, and there'll be some other kid who's a, you know, who's a GA. And my wife and I have done. I mean, we've had kids sleep on our floor at conventions. Mm. You know, we we continue. You know, we had a kid who's working on an Indian reservation right now who wanted to come to the, our mentorship, and I said, you know, he's like, I, you know, I can't afford it. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll I'll pay for your flight, and I won't charge you for the mentorship because he's, you know, working in Arizona and you know with. A Native American population, you know, fighting obesity and drug addiction and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. I look, you know, it might cost me, when he comes, it'll cost me 500 bucks for his flight or something like that. But as I've said to you before, I'll make that 500 back again someplace else real quick. Well, and the impact that that kid is going to have on all those people as a result of having learned from you is going to be you know, exponential. You don't even know that. Right. Exactly. That and, and that's, that huge. to me is the whole, the whole point. And that's why I said some people, it's amazing how many people can develop a very narrow kind of almost uh, accountant type focus on money and look at everything in terms of dollars and cents. Well, if I spend this, I should make this. If I do this, I should do this. And, you know, I think I drive my partner, Bob Hanson, who's an awesome guy who kind of handles the business side. I think sometimes I drive him crazy because I don't, I don't ever think about money. Yeah, but our business has grown. You know, I think you know. I was saying to these guys, I think in the last eight years, I think we've grown two hundred percent in terms of gross revenue. You know, over an eight-year period. So whatever that is, compounded, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mike, I, you know, I, I didn't think we'd be talking this long, but. Um, 
it just kind of flowed. And I really appreciate your time and, and uh, talking about the impact you've made on people and, and what they've done for you too. So I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on and, and sharing all of your thoughts and experiences with us. Well, I appreciate you having me on. As I said, I, I, I enjoy doing this stuff. It, finding the time is not always that easy, but I really enjoy the opportunity because I hope, I really do hope people listen and I hope people realize that because there's a lot of what I would, I guess they're probably intermediate coaches. They're not young and they're not old. And you hope that some of those people do listen to podcasts like this and do realize that as, as you said it, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We've got so many people here who still think it's about how much they can bench or how much, you know, how they look in a (laughs) t-shirt. And it's amazing that I think, you know, one of the good things or the bad things about our field sometimes is that it can be really shallow. <laughs> and the, the fact that it's yeah. shallow is really good for people who have some depth. And that the fact that it's really shallow is a little disheartening at the same time. So, yeah, yeah. But you got to, I always look at the abundance side. I always say to people, hey, it's really, it's really easy to succeed in this field. Because there still aren't enough good people. Amen. Yeah. You know what? That's about the, uh, as good of an ending as we could have asked for. So I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you very much. Jim, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I love that guy. Mike Boyle just makes an impact on so many people, including me. And um, I, I love listening to him talk and hearing about his philosophies on how he kind of runs his own life. Um, that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, head over to my website, jimkilbasso.com for lots more information. Grab that free sports training course that I've uh, created for you and make sure that you support our sponsor, the IYCA. Click on their links there on um, my homepage to get some free information from them. And we will see you at the next show. Thank you for listening to The Impact Show. We're glad you're joining us on this journey of making an impact on the people around you. Please visit us at jimkilbasso.com for more information and ideas to increase your impact. And of course, we hope you subscribe to our podcast to enjoy more tips, stories, and advice from our industry's leaders.